Are churches looking for the wrong kind of leaders? I mean, the last decade has witnessed a rising number of churches wrecked by spiritual abuse. What we're talking about here is harsh, heavy-handed, domineering behavior from those in a position of of spiritual authority. And and high-profile cases are only a small portion of what is a widespread problem. Now, behind the scenes are many more cases of spiritual abuse that we will never hear about. We just need to acknowledge that. And these victims, the the victims suffer in silence, our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering in silence. They don't know where to turn. Now, here's the caveat when we talk about this. We need to highlight this point. Most pastors and leaders are godly, wonderful people who don't abuse their sheep. Okay? Right. We just don't hear about them. They shepherd their flocks gently and patiently. But we can't ignore the growing number who don't do that. You know, we have tolerated and even celebrated the kind of leaders Jesus warned us against. Let that sink in for a minute. Say it again. Yeah. We have tolerated and even, excel, you know, celebrated and uh, accelerated the ministries, if you will, and supported these, these kinds of leaders that Jesus warned us against. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Michael Kruger is, uh, is, is really taking a deep dive on all of this in his new book. Uh, Michael has written this, uh, this book, I'm sure, with uh, a lot of prayer because, I, Michael, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not quite halfway through it yet, and I'm trying to go through it slowly. And the reason why I'm saying that you're, you're really, um, you must have been prayed up when you wrote this book is because it has truth, but it has soft edges. You don't compromise on the truth of what we're dealing with, but you're very kind. It has a kind tone to it. And it's uh, Bully Pulpits Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. That's the title. And Michael is a professor and, of course, president of Reformed Theological Seminary, and he has written a number of books and articles, and uh, he's one of the smart guys, and he's one of the good guys. So I'm glad you wrote this book, Michael. Let's, let's uh, start out with this question. Um, how do we I- explain the apparent rise of bully pastors in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question, and I appreciate you starting out with the qualification, which I make in the book, and I always remind people of myself, which is that most pastors are doing a great job. They're doing the best job they can, and they're humble people who work hard and love their flocks. Um, But like anything, you can't ignore the small number that maybe don't, and that's why I wrote the book. You know, one of the things that I think everyone's wrestling with is whether there's a rise in this sort of abusive behavior or whether there's just a rise in awareness of this uh, abusive behavior. And in my book, I I don't go either way on that because I don't think we know. There's no hard stats yet on something like this because I think we're at the front end of the spiritual abuse awareness, so we can't track it in a way that's mathematical. Mm -hmm. But my my anecdotal sense is that it is on the increase. Um, I think we live in a time where the church feels pressured by our culture, And sometimes when you're pressured by your culture, you get defensive and want to prove your authority and prove that you still, you know, have have real power. And sometimes that leads to the abuse of power. Mm. A definition is in order here, too, because, you know, how do we define spiritual abuse? This can if you really think through this, it can be like trying to nail jello to the wall. I mean, there's (laughs) it's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes it is. Yeah, well, I, I spent a lot of time in the book on that exact question, and it should be acknowledged that it's it's not always clear, and there's there's times when it's fuzzy. 
Uh, it's a different kind of abuse than something like physical abuse or sexual abuse. But I do think it's a real category, and I define spiritual abuse basically as when a spiritual leader who's in spiritual authority wields that authority in such a way that he ends up being harsh, domineering, authoritarian, and heavy-handed with those under his care. Um, and so when you think of the definition that way, you realize very quickly that even though the term is new, the concept is not. It's been there from the dawn of time as people have lorded it over other people in, in abusive ways. And so I track that in the Bible and show how it's really a biblical category. Would you say that most bully pastors, pastors who are bullies, are narcissists as well? I think the two often go hand in hand. It's not automatic, but yes, there is a certain type of personality that you could say is the type that, that trends towards or could be, you know, uh, have a propensity towards this type of abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, narcissism is uh, a problem in lots of places. And obviously, anybody who has narcissistic tendencies, we would argue, does not fit the qualifications laid out in the Bible for what a minister of the gospel should be um, if those aren't, you know, being put in check. So, yeah, I think there is a connection. You know, I always, when there's a problem, I I think we should always look at ourselves and what our contribution to this is. We keep hiring Mm -hmm. those guys, the flashy guys, you know, and, and then we and then people protect them when they are abusive to maybe somebody else. No, that's a great point. And I bring this up, too, in the book, which is, look, the problem isn't just the abusive leader. It's the system mm-hmm. around the abusive leader that cheers them on, that looks for a high-profile, dynamic leader that can sort of be the franchise player for the team. Yeah. Um, they laud them. They praise them. They give them special power and privilege. And then they're sort of shocked when, <laughs> when maybe it doesn't go well. And then they even end up defending the person and protecting them from from the accusations. And so, yeah, there's more to be said than just the leader. It's a, it's a system, it's a culture in the church in some places that's cheering those kind of leaders on. And I think we got, we've got some deep reflection we need to do. What does the Bible have to say about abusive leadership? There's that issue, and then here's the other part of it, too, just, you know, and you talk about this in your book. It is so wrong for people to be afraid of their pastor, and yet fear is something that's very common when you have a bully in the pulpit. Oh, yeah. One of the major signs I tell people in the book of, of, of a possible abusive pastoral situation is when there's deep, widespread fear of the, of, of the senior leader. Um, it sounds so strange to say it, doesn't it? Because yeah. the pastor should not be someone we're afraid of. They should be someone that we're comforted by and, and that we uh, you know, love and, and respect. Um, but, but that's not true in many churches. And so that's one of the signs. Um, there's many signs, but one of the signs is this sort of deep-seated sense that I can't cross this guy. I can't challenge this guy. I can't disagree with this guy. Um, and everyone kinds of walk, walks around on eggshells all the time. Yeah. So, so what about the Bible talking about abusive leadership? Where do we find that? Oh, wow. So many different places. Um, you know, I think it, it starts even in the Garden of Eden um, with the fall and how relationships are broken. And we see even there that Adam is, is domineering Eve uh, right from the start. Um, we see it in the kings of Israel. When Israel claims for a king like all the nations, and God warns them, if you have a king like that, he's going to make you his slaves. He's going to rule you harshly, which is exactly what happens. You can think of Ezekiel 34 and the shepherds of Israel that God says, you basically mistreated my sheep. You've fed yourselves and not fed them. You've been harsh with them and cruel to them. Um, and then, of course, in the New Testament, the, the concept of domineering comes up a lot. Jesus uses it in Mark 10. 
Peter uses it in First Peter 5 to not domineer. And there's a word there in the Greek that means to lord it over in harsh, heavy-handed ways. And that, that comes up. Jesus warns us against it. So, yeah, it's from really literally almost from Genesis to Revelation. Mm. What causes churches to turn a blind eye to abusive leadership? Now, I mean, there are many ways you can frame it out, right? It's like, hey, you know what? He's getting things done. God's blessing his ministry, and sometimes you have to step on a few toes to to do that. And there are all these excuses in the way that they present this. And I'm sure, I mean, you talk at length about this, the enabling of these bully pastors to stay right where they are. Yeah, this takes us back to the earlier point, doesn't it? Which is, you know, there's a there's a system around the bully pastor that protects them, and they do it for lots of reasons. Some more innocently. Some sometimes you discover that the leadership team doesn't even know about the the conflicts and the abuse mm. that it's been that it's been hidden from them. I cannot tell you how many cases I've seen where that's the case, where there's a few select people that know, but it's been kept in sub sub subcommittee, and the larger leadership body doesn't even know it. So, you know, how, how do people stay in power like this? Well, part of it is just people don't know about it. Um, another thing that happens is the people who are abused typically are driven out of churches. And so the people who, are, who, who have raised the concerns are silenced by virtue of being driven out. And then the, the only people left to frame the narrative are the, are the leader and his, his team. So that tends to, to minimize the problem. That doesn't look so big when the, when the people who are raising the concerns have already left. Um, and then there's retaliation tactics, sadly. One of, the, one of the, the most tragic things I discovered in my research is how many steps are taken to really hurt and even destroy the lives of the people who are bringing forward the concerns. Um, and, you know, one way you stay in power is by, you know, smashing people who, who raise concerns about what you're doing in your leadership style. And that's, those are tragic stories, and they really are heart-wrenching. Mm. Dr. Michael Kruger is hanging out with us this morning, and the name of the book is Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. We're talking about bully pastors, and I know it's not an easy thing to talk about, but it's necessary. We solve no problems. We benefit zero from right. ignoring things. Right. And I just keep thinking about brand new Christians. Yes. They don't know, is this how God is? You know, because that's what the pastor's representing. See, okay, that's Michael, horrible. you talk about this in the book. You, Kay is absolutely right here. They are the spokesperson for God, and it is confusing. It's spiritually disorienting, not only to new believers, maybe especially to them, but to believers in general. The collateral damage is huge here. Yeah, and this is something that we've just begun to scratch the surface of in our awareness. So in years gone by, say 50 years ago, it used to be thought that abuse was purely physical. So, you know, kind of like the basketball line, no blood, no foul. So if you're not actually bleeding, it's not really abusive. And mm. over the last amount of time, we've, we've gained awareness that that's not true. You don't even have to actually touch someone to really do damage. And in the spiritual world, when someone represents God, the damage can be really real. And you've already hinted at some of this. I mean, the trust you have in your pastors, they, they represent God to you at some level. They're not necessarily, you know, a direct spokesman for God, but they, they do represent God to you at some level. When they mistreat the flock, um, it can be particularly damaging. And it's more than just someone um, getting their feelings hurt. There is a serious amount of disillusionment, shame, anger, frustration, doubt, um, even people struggling with uh, PTSD and depression because they've been run out of their churches. They've been labeled a slanderer. They've been attacked by their Christian leaders. 
Um, and so these are really, really deep and painful uh, things. And the analogy I give is it's kind of like child abuse. Uh, you know, the reason child abuse is so damaging is it's not just the physical pain. You know, if a child falls down on the soccer field and breaks their arm, that's one thing. But if it's their mom that broke their arm, that's a totally different thing. Because right. now yes. the very person yeah. who's supposed to care for you is the one who's hurt you. Yeah. And that's very confusing and disorienting. And so we, we see a lot of collateral damage uh, in light of that. And it's sad. And then the world is watching the high-profile cases of this and the cynicism there, it is not a good representation of followers of Jesus, and it gives Jesus in the gospel a black eye, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, one of the points I've made to people in a number of the conversations I've had about this is the connection between the abuse problems in the church and the rise of deconversion stories. You know, there's been a lot of discussion in the last number of years about people leaving Christianity leaving the church, feeling like they don't believe uh, Christianity anymore. And there's many reasons people do that, but certainly there is a connection between the way the Christians handle the abuse problems and the, and the amount of abuse problems and the way people look at that and say, whoa, I don't, I don't know if I believe the church is good anymore or if Christianity is even good. And it, those are things we really have to reckon with. Yeah, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, defending bully pastors. We circle the wagons, we cover it up, we're quiet. And then eventually, you know what? Your sin finds you out. And the enemy of our soul, he's on the sidelines. He's cheering us. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you guys go ahead and do that. It's going to be even worse in the end. Absolutely. And I think this is why we have to sort of be honest about the problem. And part of the reason I wrote the book is to say, hey, no one likes to bring this stuff up. Yeah. You know, I, I even say in the preface, <laughs> I didn't really want to write this book. Um, this is one of those books I felt sort of almost obligated to write. No one likes the bearer of bad news. Um, I think about, you know, Gandalf in, in The Lord of the Rings, often accused of being a storm crow, right? Someone who always comes and announces bad things. <laughs> That's um, right, exactly. And, you know, they, they don't like him as a result. And I don't, you know, no one wants to be that guy. But I, th- I think ev- effectively you have to decide, do I love the church enough to want to see her uh, grow and, and, and purified and, and be more holy? And I think we all do, and we want to see it change. I'm interested in your take on the so-called genre of discernment bloggers that have surfaced uh, in recent years. They are policing the church, and, I mean, there's—it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, some of them have revealed this stuff, otherwise it would not have been revealed, but then you wonder about them making uh, a—I don't want to say making a career, but it's it's kind of like their specialty to be out there as, you know, holding up the banner— of truth and saying, hey, you know, we need to purify the church. We need yeah. these discernment bloggers because of the circling the wagons phenomenon and all of that. And yet you have other folks who are like, do we really need to be tearing down the church here? I mean, that that seems to be the your specialty. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. you, it seems to be your specialty. That's your ministry. No, that's right. Yeah. That's so. 100 percent correct. And so one yeah. of the things I say and have said many times in these conversations is we've got to be careful that we don't become professional cynics you know, who are, you know, we make our whole life all about finding everything that's wrong mm-hmm. um, in the church. And, and there's plenty, right? We're all, we're all simple right. people, and there's plenty to find. But it's a tough balance, isn't it, between um, becoming the professional cynic, but then ignoring the problems that are really there. And I think bringing them up in right ways, um, in appropriate channels, with a spirit of humility and grace, not out to destroy the church, but to protect her, um, is, the, is the direction we want to go. 
Um, as far as these discernment blogs, I mean, these, it, it is a double-edged sword. On one level, if someone has you know, a, a challenge in their local church, I don't think anyone's advice is rush out to Facebook and dump it all there. Um, I don't think that's a wise step. At the same time, um, some, sometimes these scandals, th- th- there was no accountability, and it was the people online who brought that to light. I think of the Robbie Zacharias scenario. If it wasn't right. for people online continuing to say, hey, this, this is a problem and it's not been dealt with, I don't know if we would have ever gotten accountability there. Yeah. So it is, yeah. it is very hard to know how to handle that. One of the things that I appreciate uh, in your book, there are many things I appreciate. Again, it, it has a kind tone to it, yet you're steadfast. You're not backing down from the truth. You actually name names in this book. That is not always the case in books like this. Why did you decide to do that? Yeah, that was hard. There's, there's sort of two layers of cases I looked at. Um, one are what I would call public cases, uh, cases that have been uh, dealt with uh, in the news, and there's enough data there and enough conclusions there that I think we could speak to what happened. And then there's a number of cases I, I learned about in my own research that I didn't name names, and I kept very um, private and confidential. And I would talk about lessons learned from those cases, but never mention the church, the people involved. But I did, I did want to bring up the public cases. One is they are public, so there's nothing inappropriate about talking about them, but also just to make it concrete. I think people tend to look at this in the abstract, but if you can talk about real cases, real lives destroyed, real problems that happened, I think it brings it home. And so those personal testimonies, I think, were important to, to reveal the, the depth of the problem. I think uh, you, you highlight a type of pastor who is a bully, who can be a bully, that I hadn't really thought deeply about, uh, you know, in my mind, and that is these pastors who their doctrine is perfect. They're very orthodox, mm-hmm. and the danger is thinking, okay, because they have their doctrine right, mm-hmm. then their character must be right as well, and mm-hmm. that is not always the case. They know the truth, but they may not be living the truth. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is interesting is how many, not all, but many modern churches have flipped the priority of character versus competency. So the Bible makes clear that character is the primary qualifier for ministry, not competency. Um, And I think in our day we flipped it so that competency is the more important thing and character Mm -hmm. is second place. But then, as you indicated, there's some churches that it's not so much competency that they care about, but, but, but theology, doctrine. And by the way, I'm a big believer in the importance of theology and doctrine, but it can't be used as a shield to protect people from, 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 from dealing with the issues of their character. And that happens. There is an assumption that if someone has good theology, they must inevitably have good character, and therefore they can never entertain the possibility that person could be abusive. So a lot of people just never will be prosecuted by virtue of the fact that they represent orthodox theology. And in many, many people's minds, that just can't be. It just can't be true that they could be abusive, and we know that's not the case biblically. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. have true doctrine and, and really be <laughs> really be a mess uh, in other in other areas. What about being at the seminary there? Obviously, you're training the next generation of pastors, and um, what you're trying to do is through this book. I mean, there's so many reasons for this book, and so many ways that God can use it. But let's just talk about the next generation of pastors, making them aware of the temptations that they may have to to maybe step into this kind of role. In other words, God has placed you uh, for such a time as this to be able to speak into the lives of these men to try to head them off at the pass, hopefully. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I mean, certainly 
I'm hoping other seminaries m might be uh, benefiting from the book, but <laughs> obviously we're going to try to use it here at RTS. I mean, one of the things that's dawned on me over my course of research is I don't know that this is on our radar um, enough in seminaries. Um, and, and in some cases, it's not on the radar at all in certain seminaries. Um, and we have, a, we have a responsibility to make sure that when we train these future leaders that they have the right categories and the right cautions and the right direction. And I think we probably need to do a better job reminding people that character has to be uh, one of the pre uh, preeminent qualifications and not just making sure that you can pass a theology, theology exam. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Again, we, we, we very much value the theology exam. I, I don't want to minimize it. I think it's so critical. Good theology does matter, but not, not in a way that excludes good character. All right. So on the tail end here, Michael, before we let you go, I'd love for you to speak directly to the person who is disillusioned, who is disoriented, the person we've been talking about, the collateral damage due to a, uh, you know, a pastor who is a bully in their church, or maybe it is a pastor who has been in the news that they admired, and then they realize all this stuff was going on behind the scenes, the power plays, and, and all of that. They are discouraged. They are disillusioned. And you talked about some folks even going as far as walking away from the faith, deconversion, and all of that. They're hurting right now. What do you want to say to them? Yeah, that there. I have talked to so many people who are in that exact situation, and and I do. I try to do a number of things with folks like that. One is I try to show them compassion, to recognize, look, something really did happen to you, you know, abuse is, a, is an awful thing and, and we're not going to minimize it. We're going to, we're going to stare it in the face and acknowledge, uh, this bad thing that took place. And so I think we want to, we want to sort of show them the compassion and empathy that, uh, they need. Um, and that's what shepherds do with the people in their flock who are hurting. The second thing is I would just remind them that, look, yes, the church has significant, uh, blind spots. We're working on those. Of course, historically, the church has had blind spots for a long, long time. They may have been different ones in the past, um, and God will build his church in spite of them, and we can look to that promise. Um, the third thing I would say is if you want to understand the credibility of Christianity and whether it's good and true, look to Jesus and not necessarily to all the problems of the modern church. Jesus himself is what we're shooting for, and he is the one who is perfectly right, perfectly true, perfectly compassionate. Um, and, and perfectly worthy of our trust. And I think that is probably the best recovery, is to look back to the person uh, himself and be reminded why we believe what we believe. Well, mm. that's good. By the way, number five on Amazon, this book is number five in Christian Pastoral Resources, also number six, Christian Church Leadership Books right now, and number 18, in Christian social issues, so those are the categories. Yeah. So, and I'm looking at all your good. other books on Amazon, and I'm thinking, oh, we need to talk about that. I one. know we, we got to have Michael that. back again on your articles as well. <laughs> yeah, we, happy to come back. Oh, we great. love to chat with you. you, Michael. Thank you so much for writing this book, and thank you for being with us. Absolutely enjoyed the conversation.